We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. You've heard the All-22 offense. Now we're here to break down the All-22 coaches film on the Giants defense and what was a very disappointing performance, specifically on paper, specifically due to the narrative, specifically due to the expectations for this defense coming into the season, coming into the game against Taylor Heineke. But as I cautioned on the last podcast, remember, this defense had forced four, count them, four three and outs in the first six drives for Washington, four three and outs in the first six drive. They also had the Bradbury interception. They also had a three and out later in the game. So it wasn't all bad. But for me, as I look forward to this game, my overall general picture, and I want to get yours too, if I have a key takeaway, Nick, it's why was this the game plan? I watched Snow, the defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, who seem very likely at this point to be the breakout defense of the 2021 season. They have pieces I love. Brian Burns was my sixth overall prospect in that draft class, was praying, praying he fell to the Giants at 17. I can only hope... Hope is as far as I can take it, but I can only hope that Dave Gettleman would have taken him over Dexter Lawrence. I cannot be guaranteed by something like that. Dave Gettleman, bad moves across the board in his GM hood. And yeah, I'm piling on. The Giants are off. I mean, the Giants are 0-2 again under Gettleman, and the offensive line's a disaster. I don't want to turn this into a Gettleman pile-on, though. I'm calming down, Nick, but Brian Burns, the Carolina breakout defense, my point being... I watched Snow call that game. There's a good guy I follow now who breaks down all 22. And then I went back and watched that game because actually getting access to some all 22s. And this is a whole nother tangent, Nick, that we can go on. But my God, the fact that you have to use a VP, try to 
buy a VPN to watch Game Pass because then it doesn't recognize you're in the U.S. And apparently international fans are getting all 22, but the U.S. fans aren't granted this all 22. And we have to go through our sources to get this. And then we don't even have the timestamps for the game. And we don't have the plays and we don't have you can't sort by plays. You can't sort by times. It's it's absurd. Like what this is like, this feels malicious by Game Pass. It feels malicious that they're only giving it to their international fans. But anyway, watch this game on film. And boy, oh boy, did I love what Snow did against Jameis Winston. There was a time in the game just before the half, and somebody pointed this out, where Snow called the exact same blitz three plays in a row. Forced an incomplete, an incomplete, and then an interception just before the half. He was bringing the house on Jameis Winston, and that was the exact game plan that I wish that the Giants used against Taylor Heineke. And even if that wasn't the game plan they came into the game with, Nick, my key takeaway is that it should have been the adjustment they made. Scrap everything. Start playing the defense different the minute he floated that first ball over the seam because it did not look like... And now, Heineke made some good throws down the stretch. The two-play drive where they scored, which we'll get into, Heineke, Heineke ripped two balls in. Like, the touchdown pass to, to Ricky Seals-Jones, that who was? I don't even remember. Their second tight yeah, end. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's an insane ball. I think that was, in my mind, like maybe the best ball of the game besides the Slayton touchdown. Like, that's how good that ball is. There was no window for that, and he ripped that thing in. And obviously, the the little uh, up-and-out route from, from uh, McKissick was nice. But, I mean, he was floating a lot of passes over the seam. He did not look like he had much velocity on that. When you see that and you have a quarterback who has that little experience, the game plan in my mind, Nick, this is my key takeaway, it should have been completely different. It should have been mostly one high. should have been a lot of zero, a uh, cover zero. And remember, that's something Graham ran in Miami with the Dolphins. We talked about that on the podcast previewing Graham two years ago. We said he called cover zero more than almost any coordinator in the league in 2019. Where was that this game? This was the perfect game to use it, especially when Washington has a struggling right tackle right now in Samuel Cosme, the rookie. Maybe he'll be good one day. I like Cosme's tape. He has good feet, but he struggled in this game, and he could have been overwhelmed even more. And it's not like they have some kind of great situation on the left side either at tackle. Interior, they're a little bit better. But that was the game plan for me. A lot of one high, a lot of cover zero, a lot of press man, a lot of blitz. Just keep sending them like Snow did with Carolina against uh, Zach Wilson and against Jameis Winston this week. I hate that that wasn't the game plan. Instead, we got this game plan that is a lot of the same, a lot of cover two, a lot of you know, soft off coverage, specifically from James Bradbury. I like Adoree Jackson. He was playing a little bit more press man, but specifically James Bradbury, who was a lot of the times in coverage on McLaurin, who had a field day. And a lot of the times he's like, what I noticed in this game was it wasn't like Heineke was beating the Giants with these five and seven step, seven step drop long developing plays. It was quick game again. It was so much of what we saw with Bridgewater, a ton of quick game. And Giants just giving that to him. But why? Why do they need to give that to him? That's my question for you. That's my overall takeaway. And now take the mic, Nick. I wanted to see more pressure as well, Dan. It was a little bit frustrating. The Giants kept sending four. They were dropping everybody else into coverage. And they had a bunch of different coverages that they were utilizing to try and slow down this potent Washington offense led by Taylor Heineke. Now, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, they were throwing out cover six, cover three, a ton of zone match type of coverages, some spot drop type of coverages. I mean, Patrick Graham likes to do a lot of different things on the back end. I really respect that. That uh, inverted cover two that he runs, though, I mean, that was picked apart by Teddy Bridgewater. We broke it down on YouTube from week one, and there were a couple big plays that Taylor Heineke hit against Adore Jackson and Darnay Holmes on that side of the field, the field side, every time they tried to drop the cornerback to a deep half responsibility. So it seems like that coverage is getting figured out by the Giants' opponents. That's uh, one thing that I feel like needs to be corrected, certainly. I mean, I don't believe we've seen any 
Tampa two robber yet where they start middle of the field closed and drop that safety into a Tampa two look and then use kind of inverted cover two tactics by dropping the two cornerbacks to the deep half responsibility. We haven't seen that coverage yet. We saw it a lot down the stretch last year. We've definitely seen a good amount of cover one, cover one robber, you know, rat in the hole with the underneath zone defender against man who needs to undercut all those crossing routes. So there's different types of coverages that Patrick Graham is, is throwing out there. It's just, the timing and the rhythm of these offenses are are just defeating what the Giants are trying to do, specifically up the seams and between the linebackers and the safeties. And you know what, man? I got to tip my cap to Scott Turner and the offensive coordinator. If you watch that that out-and-up play to J.D. McKissick, the long pass that sets up the Ricky Seals-Jones touchdown, go back to the first drive, Dan, the third down play. It's the same exact play that Scott Turner ended up running here, only this time they didn't do the out and up. So they basically showed this look to Tay Crowder. Tay Crowder's out there on J.D. McKissick, and he just runs an out route. J.D. McKissick ends up uh, just, you know, football doesn't get thrown. Aziz Ojolari ends up getting a sack. It's it's whatever, the game or play over. But you watch the other play. Hey, Tay Crowder has seen this before, right? He bites down onto the near hip of J.D. McKissick. McKissick shoots his head back up field, squares his shoulders, starts running up the sideline, and Crowder is nowhere in position to guard that. That's an excellent play call and an excellent little tweak off of a play that they showed this defense before. So credit to this Washington offensive staff for recognizing that and gassing Tay Crowder like that. And the Giants are set up in that play, and that's so well said by you, Nick. And and the crux of it, or the part that really frustrates me the most, is the Giants are set up in that play to not give up a big play. They're not blitzing, they're not sending extra rushers. Again, like the whole game, I feel like they should have just had guys on the line of scrimmage, tons of guys on that line of scrimmage. Even if you bail out on some of the plays and don't send you know, all these blitzers, there was no need in my mind to have anything more than single high for most of this game because Taylor Heineke has not proven that he has the accuracy in the ball placement to throw outside the numbers on deep passes, or at least at the very least, make him prove that. Then adjust, make him prove that you have a Dory Jackson who can cover on these vertical routes in man. You could test Bradbury. Why do you have Bradbury play so far off? Like have him do the same or, you know, have a linebacker bail out and go into the quick uh, slant lane of McLaurin or whoever Bradbury's covering. And if you want to play Bradbury a little further, fuck, you just didn't need to have so many too high looks against Heineke, it just didn't make any sense to me. They weren't generating enough pressure with four men. The point is on this excellent play call by Turner, who, by the way, is one of the best offensive play callers in the NFL. I said it before. I'll say it again. Washington got a gem when they hired Scott Turner. I mean, just game after game, he proves it, and that's a perfect example. But the crux of it, man, they're trying to stop the big play and avoid the big play, and that's exactly what happens on this. It's a two-play drive set up by that one play. So, you know, I just hated the game plan here from Patrick Graham, if I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't understand it against Heineke in this spot, especially the way he was throwing early, man, on those seams. Like, it's so it was so much space to get those balls in there. Why are you giving so much space? Why are you not pressuring him into forcing, you know, more errant throws? And especially because a lot of the throws he made, Nick, were actually somewhat close to being intercepted. Like the early first throw of the game, a Dory almost entered that could have easily been tipped and intercepted. One that was, I think it was a pass interference call, but got tipped up in the air. You put the pressure on, you start to pressure him with extra guys, and you put all those guys on the line of scrimmage, you're not only gonna eliminate that, you know, Washington run game, which the Giants did an okay, a pretty solid job of anyway. But you're also going to pressure him into making mistakes, which, you know, he didn't really make like due to any pressure. The one big mistake Heineke made was just an excellent, smart, savvy play by Bradbury to jump that route to know it was coming. It wasn't really due to pressure or anything of that nature. So I just felt like the game plan made 
almost no sense to me against this specific quarterback. This is just a brilliant chess match of football right there. That's James Bradbury seeing routes that he saw all throughout the game because Terry McLaurin ran that route several times. Just a quick little button hook, show your hands to the quarterback, present a target. And this time, James Bradbury baited it, baited it, and waited for Taylor Heineke to get to that back foot. And then he just jumped the route. I mean, that was an excellent play by James Bradbury. But just to talk a little bit about Washington's off because the Washington's offense, because I agree too, Dan, I, I do believe Patrick Graham just got out out schemed in this game. Didn't really like the entire game plan from a pressure standpoint. Taylor Heineke, I, I think you pressure an undersized quarterback who doesn't have a lot of reps under his belt. He's going to be baited into making mistakes. And the Giants really just did not pressure him all that often. But man, Washington, some of the misdirections that they used pre-snap yep. with their motions, just really kind of manipulating the, the Giants linebackers, their run keys, and, and, and pulling linemen in several different directions. Every time they aligned in stacks, they would utilize those switch releases to try to gain an advantage and a miscommunication on the back end. A lot of rub routes against man coverage from stacks as well. It was just a very, very well-coached and well-executed offense from, from Washington, to be honest. Now, not really a high upside type of offense until that fourth quarter, to be honest. A lot of dinking and dunking, but... I would have to say, man, Scott Turner, it's second week in a row we're, we're saying this because we said the same thing about Pat Shermer, but Scott Turner and Pat Scott Turner and Pat Shermer, that rhymes, got the best of uh, Patrick Graham. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. When you watch the All-22, you can kind of see the difference between a, a Shermer and a, sorry, not a Shermer, a Turner and a Garrett type. I mean, yeah, Garrett's starting to do a better job of using some motion, using some misdirection, but it's totally night and day from somebody like Scott Turner, you know, the Andy Reid to the world, the guys who are using this constantly, guys who are using this entirely to set up their offense, to show one thing, go the other way, to completely get defensive eyes moving in the wrong direction, and to, you know, build off of what you're showing. It's all just such a big component of his offense, and so it, it is fun to watch. It's a little sad to watch because, you know, we still know that we have Garrett on the other side and we're just not going to we're going to get some version of it. I mean like Garrett's not crazy like he hears all the criticism he started to work it in more but it's just not a big part of what he wants to do like still a big part of what he wants to do is like his stick stuff and his curl, curls lands flat like the stuff that he runs is still such a big part of what he is and what he wants to do and you know that power quote-unquote run game and I don't know. It just seems like even in the run game, that's kind of where, you know, I see it the most. And even though not to say that Washington did had some amazing time in the run game, basically the only yards Washington got in the run game is the same way teams get yards against the Giants every game in the run game since Graham got here to the outside when on the sweeps. They had a couple big gainers on the sweeps anytime they were running outside. But interior, the Giants still did an OK, solid job there. But let's get into some more on the defense. Nick, I know you have the snap counts. and That's something interesting we haven't done on the recent all 22s we did last year. I think it's really important to go over the snap counts go over how often these guys are playing why some guys may be playing less or more so let's dive into that now yeah so the only ones who played the full complement of snaps would be james bradbury blake martinez adoree jackson and logan ryan they all played 71 snaps according to pro football focus and then jabril peppers and leonard williams played 57 Darnay Holmes, Lorenzo Carter, 53. And then after that, it was a couple guys in the 40s. But the ones that really kind of stood out to me was Xavier McKinney was down to 39 snaps. Jabril Peppers was up to 57. Because remember, Jabril Peppers only played 30 snaps in week one. So, I mean, that's something to monitor. And I'm trying to kind of figure out what the exact reason for that was. And we saw this a little bit last year. Sometimes players just didn't play as often. And I don't know if it's a hot hand approach, if it's matchup based or what exactly leads the Giants to choosing their specific personnel. Because I didn't necessarily see 
a big mistake from Xavier McKinney. I might have missed something, to be honest. But uh, it was a little curious to see that he was down so low. And also that players like Tay Crowder played a lot more than Reggie Ragland. Austin Johnson played a lot more than Danny Shelton, which to me, I, Danny Shelton is a is a letdown, I, w- I would definitely say. I mean, this on this defense, I, I think the run defense is fine and everything, Dan. But this defense does miss Dalvin Tomlinson. Because how many times on film? There was at least two plays, possibly three plays, where Blake Martinez is positioning himself off tackle, scraping over the top and getting himself into position. But he gets plucked by the guard climbing because Danny Shelton doesn't hold him up long enough. That didn't happen a lot last year because of Dexter Lawrence and because of Dalvin Tomlinson primarily. Yeah, man, I think you nailed it, Nick. We talked a bit about this before the podcast, and it's just something that is so unheralded, may go unnoticed, something that you you definitely notice if you watch the All-22 week after week after week, but the impact of Dalvin Tomlinson's loss has been felt on this defense through the first two weeks. Now, it's still the run game. It still only can take you so far. And these plays you bring up, Nick, in my mind, Yes, it's so much worse for us to watch on film because it's making Martinez's job harder. It's leading to plays that should never happen that don't normally happen. But in the end, none of these were like 50, 60 yard chunk plays or touchdowns. In the end, the run game is only giving up more yards in the run game is only taking you so far. So it's like that's one standpoint. But this defense overall was still better with Tomlinson. And you wonder, you know, he did sign a one year deal. I don't know if he would have signed that same style deal. Was it a one year deal with the Vikings? I thought it was one year 11. Is that correct? Or was it 333? I believe it's two-year deal. Okay, two twenty-two. I think it was. So it's like they could have found cap space for Tomlinson at two twenty-two. I just don't know if he would have taken that money because it was the Giants. I think that he would have probably asked for a bigger deal from the from the team that's drafted him. Plus, I mean, then you lose Rudolph, but who cares about that? That was not needed. You probably don't get a Dory Jackson. Then I guess um, maybe maybe you still get him. It's hard to say. I mean, either way, you're probably dipping further into the future. You're dipping further into your cap future. So, I mean, like, I can get it. I'm not going to cry over spilled milk there, especially when I'm a big proponent of not overpaying the interior defensive line since they've borrowed so many resources, so many key resources and assets into trying to build it out. Um, but, yeah, like you said, man, the loss is noticeable. It's clearly noticeable, especially on these run plays. But one thing you mentioned that I thought was interesting was the flip-flopping there with Peppers and McKinney. I mean, Darnay Holmes seems to have gotten a lot of these snaps. Holmes went from playing 42% of the snaps in week one to 75% in week two. I think our expectation, Nick, was that it would mostly be Peppers and McKinney in this, you know, of this three-man rotation. Those would be the majority snap guys week after week. So weird to see McKinney going from playing every snap to playing just over half. I don't really know what to make of that, to be honest with you. I'm with you. I didn't see any key mistakes from McKinney from week one. I personally saw one of the best plays in coverage that I've seen from any deep half giant safety in the last decade when McKinney broke up that, uh, that, you know, that deep ball that Teddy Bridgewater took in the first half and just came over and tipped it. I mean, I don't know, man. To me, like... If it was me running this defense against Taylor Heineke, especially after he throws that first scene ball that floats over the middle, I'm putting McKinney in single high for the whole game, basically. And I'm just pressing up and blitzing. And I just, it seems like he was perfect fit for this, what should have been the game plan. I don't know why it wasn't there. I wanted to get your take on something else, though, with regards to the snap counts. And that's Tay Crowder jumping from 49% to 74%, and Reggie Ragland falling from 38% to 17% percent of the snaps I mean we're talking about two guys who essentially traded and split off with Crowder having a small advantage week one to to totally going away from that in week two uh with Crowder getting such a massive advantage you think that was more dependent on kind of the score of the game and how uh 
you know, Washington was playing the game, the personnel groupings they were throwing out there, their pass heavy, you know, pass heavy game script, because they always have a pass heavy game script with, with Turner. They're not stupid enough to try to uh, force balance or force the run. Do you think it has to do with that? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? I think it has to do with two things, Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick. I don't think the Giants wanted Reggie Ragland out there <laughs> trying to cover either of those two players. Now, we saw what happened with J.D. McKissick and Tay Crowder. That was a bad look for Tay Crowder. But I think we could both probably agree in coverage, Tay Crowder probably gives you a slight edge over Reggie Ragland. Doesn't mean that he's good, but that just means that Reggie Ragland isn't a, a very adept athlete in terms of being an NFL linebacker. Tay Crowder, I think, is just a little bit more athletic than he is. So that's why I think Tay Crowder probably ended up seeing a little bit more snaps than than Reggie Ragland. And it's also how Washington uses those players. They use them very creatively. You'll see them split out wide. You'll see them used up the seam. You'll see them used at all three levels of the field. And whenever the Giants did align in man coverage, it was Tay Crowder who was assigned to a man coverage assignment. And I don't think the Giants wanted Reggie Ragland in that situation. That's fair enough. I think you're right on that, Nick. I think you got you nailed that one spot on. Yeah, one more thing I wanted to bring up too, Dan. And I love the Giants defensive line, but that Washington offensive line surprised me a little bit, to be honest. Specifically, I mean, I knew Brandon Sheriff was a was a stud, but Chase Rouillet is another really, really good football player. I mean, they were holding up at the point of attack well, man. And I think the the weak link on this line is definitely Samuel Cosme. And you kind of mentioned this before, the Giants did not do nearly enough to put pressure on that rookie out of Texas. But uh, this line is a lot better than I anticipated coming into the game. Yeah, me too. I felt the exact same way, Nick. I mean, we'll talk about it. A lot of it was because it was quick game by the Washington, which it seems like Patrick Graham was just willing to allow for whatever reason against this quarterback. But Again, it's a game without much pressure from the Giants' offensive line, though. Again, I do want to caveat because everybody looks at it on paper and always says, like, two weeks in, oh, my God, the Giants can't get any pressure. Well, some of that is just because these there's just no way to get pressure on some of these plays. Like, he's just taking one step and just getting rid of the ball. Like, it's not like, I don't know, it's just, there's not, not, there wasn't many of these five- and seven-step drops where it's like the Giants can get pressure. So that's part of it. But you mentioned Rui, and that was the guy who I had as my all NFC East preseason center. I thought he was the best center in the division last year. I thought he was going to be the best center in the division this year. And so far he has been, he's a really good player. And they got him in the sixth round of the 2017 draft. Talk about development. Talk about a great job by Washington football team. But yeah, like you said, the weaknesses more on the, on the exterior of this line, which some will say, you know, knock Ojolari, not Carter, even though I, I'm going to bring up some plays I like from Carter this game. I thought I had a pretty good game. And I'm just going to tell you, man, if you watch this film and you do what we did and you watch all these plays at least two times, more than that for, for me and Nick, but at the very minimum, you'll see him two times if you just watch the All-22. You'll see so few chances for this passion. I mean, there would have been more chances, I think, in my mind, if the Giants just simply played single high for most of the game and used some cover zero snaps and just simply put these guys in line of scrimmage and fired guys off the ball. There would have been some more chances. Batted balls in the air, you know, because uh, he can't get the ball out. He's like you said, he's a he's a smaller quarterback who can't really throw. You know, that's a that's a negative when you're putting guys in the line of scrimmage. You're just sacks or just you know he hesitates on one read because the Giants drop someone and now the other guy comes on the blitz and he gets him. So just like things of that nature could have helped them, but I'm just not going to totally credit uh, you know the Washington offensive line in the sense that like I'm knocking the Giants edges, if that makes sense. And I know that's not what you were doing by any means, but just, just something to note. Yeah. Cover zero gets tricky, man. I mean, I, I like it in certain aspects, but I don't want Patrick Graham to be like, 
Greg Williams or anything like that. No, I don't want to be running it too. Cover zero, I mean like two to three calls per game, maybe even less one to three, but more so, man, I'm just focused on like just a constant flow of one high safety, middle of the field, put everybody else basically on the line of scrimmage, drop some occasionally, blitz some occasionally. Like I just simply watched that Carolina game plan from Snow, and I've seen this from the Steelers a lot where they're just playing this style of game plan where it's just simply, I'm going to put one safety hot. You got to beat us. Prove first that you can beat us and prove first that we need to have two safeties in zone over the top. Like prove first that we need to play zone with two high safeties before you even do that, because there's so many quarterbacks that just simply can't respond to this game plan where they're just constantly getting free blitzers at them, or they're just constantly having guys they don't expect to drop into coverage that are on lined up on the line of scrimmage. And you know, there's one single high safety, but they can't take advantage of it on the vertical routes on the outside because they don't have the good ball placement to throw a ball 30 to 40 yards and the outside shoulder in between the sideline. And I'm not so sure Taylor Heineke has that. I mean, he didn't show that at all. He threw one ball kind of in, this range, which was the ball to uh, to McKissick, but that's McKissick's wide open after he just torches Tay Crowder and leaves him in the dust. So it's like that's an easy ball for him. Other than that, he didn't have to make any of those throws. Why not make him make those throws? So less so cover zero, mix that in maybe once or twice, I would hope, one to three. But just, man, I just feel like they should have been in single high the whole game. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I personally, I, I like having too high, uh, especially if you do it creative enough. But I mean, I also feel, and you watch the film as well, Dan, that the Giants were in single high a solid amount. I mean, they, they varied it up. So I don't really want to necessarily criticize them for that. For me, it's all just about the four-man pressure package that they brought most of the time. They weren't bringing five too often. And I just would like to see a little bit more pressure up front because that's how I think you could have baited this quarterback into some mistakes. That's fair. I mean, they, it's not like they didn't play. They played only the two out. You're right. Like they had snaps in that. There was ton, There was a few. I just feel like it should have been the almost the entire game plan should have been just simply single high. And not just that. More importantly is what you said. Walk all those linebackers and those second level guys, peppers types up to the line of scrimmage and really show that you might blitz every play instead of just kind of the lulling Washington into knowing that you're probably dropping these guys in coverage every play. You're going to mix up where they're going. Occasionally, you might send a safety blitz or a defensive back blitzing. But for the most part, like they they were nice lulled into this nice groove, Washington, where they kind of knew these guys were dropping in coverage. And just more so, I guess that would be my even bigger thing. Like the single high, yeah, I want it for the whole game. But more so, just get those guys on the line of scrimmage. Blitz a lot more often, like you said. It just didn't make sense to, to play Heineke like this to me. But let's get into some of the series. We're not going to do it like the offense and break down every single play of every single series. We'll just kind of go through each series, key takeaways there and what happened. Before we do that, though, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Nick. Excellent first series for the Giants defense. First series of the game, they defer, which I always love. I always love to get the ball at half. And they force a three and out. Comes on a third and three, which should should be a doable converting, uh, you know, an easy to convert uh, play play. But Aziz Ojolari hangs with it, chases uh, Heineke backwards. There's nothing open. Great coverage. I would call this a coverage sack, though. Good play by Ojolari. Sacks him for minus sixteen. Gets his first sack of his career. Forces the Washington punt. Anything specific you want to dive into here? We already went over the third down play and how it was the same player that Tay Crowder got beat by J.D. McKissick, only with that little difference in the uh, out and up aspect. It seemed like on the first play, McKissick extemporized and ended up going up, but it was definitely a deliberate move on the long play that happened in the fourth quarter. But uh, in the second drive, I really like the third down call by Patrick Graham here. He does have that single high safety that you love, and he's really showing man coverage. And Washington is five wide here, but you can see that it ends up being more match-based, more of a match-based defense after the snap. Because if you look at the cohesiveness of this secondary and how they're passing all the routes off from each other, they're all on the same page. They're all playing, you know, watching the quarterback, more of a zone match type of look than man. But initially you could see the alignment of Logan Ryan. He's aligned over Adam Humphreys. Like this is just going to be straight up cover one man, but he bails to a deep half responsibility. And you can see a Dory Jackson come off his original assignment, pass that assignment to Logan Ryan, you can see Jabril Peppers take on the mesh concept, and then uh, another defender ends up getting the second mesh, and then it's just on Blake Martinez, who basically executes a uh, a man coverage type of technique where he finds Adam Humphreys, who's running up the seam, and just gets underneath that and kind of passes it off to the safety. It looks very, very well orchestrated, very communicative, I guess you could say, very, very in tune with each other. So I really like that. And then uh, Lorenzo Carter ends up coming on a stunt through the A-gap, basically unblocked, and puts a hit on Taylor Heineke as he throws it out of bounds. I mean, Dexter Lawrence, dude, is a is just a boss when you align him as like a two-eye shade and just have him penetrate the A-gap. And when you do that, it just sucks the center up and it opens up these these tackle end stunts so well. And that's what happens here. And also on the previous drive, I loved, or actually, no, it was this drive as well, the previous play, how Lorenzo Carter utilizes the wrong arm technique to get underneath the puller and absolutely just cause a traffic jam in the middle of the desired gap that Antonio Gibson was going in. I mean, the wrong arm technique is when you use your outside shoulder to get underneath the inside part of that pulling guard and basically present yourself in the desired gap and not allow him to kick out. And it usually forces either A, the running back to run into a pile of bodies, which is what happens here, or B, that running back to spill outside to those secondary force defenders. So that was a really good play by Carter. You know, I was just going to say, Nick, I hope we don't pass this drive without you mentioning that. That's a play you broke down on Twitter. That's a key play on this drive. It's second and five. Carter blows this play up. Kudos to Carter. Just a huge tip in that cap to him because I think the, the, red, the football team is getting a first down without this play by Carter here. Because they obviously forced the third and four after that. Again, opening drives for Washington. Third and three, 
three and out. Third and four, three and out. But just incredible play by Carter here. In my mind, forces the second three and out. Next plays, uh, next drive again. The Giants, this is what we're talking about, leaving points on the board. The Giants are up 7 nothing at this point. Their second drive goes for that 38 yards, and like they still get no points out of it because they bog down with the stupid stuff at the end. So it's still just 7 nothing when they punt back to um, Washington at this point, and they force two three and outs. And this is when the game kind of flips into, okay, Giants are not in full control over this thing because Washington goes 90 yards on 13 plays for the touchdown. This spans all the way from the first quarter into the second quarter. It's a long drive. It takes how many how many minutes off the clock? Man, this takes a lot of time off the clock. Almost seven, minutes. seven minute drive that ends in touchdown, ninety yards. Break down some plays that stood out to you here. I'll talk. I'll talk about what I saw after the second and four after the the power. It looked like toss on first down, where uh, where they ran right at O'Shane Zimenez, who got kind of got knocked down, got up, and kind of I guess altered the path of Antonio Gibson a little bit, but O'Shane is not that great of a run defender, but that second and four play after that play, this is the inverted cover two. I was talking about, they align single high safety, Logan Ryan bails to deep half. And then a Dory Jackson bails from his quarterback spot to a deep half responsibility, leaving Darnay Holmes to cover so much ground to the field from basically the, the curl flat area all the way up to even like, parts of like middle hook, but not necessarily could you have another underneath defender there, but there's just so much space. And then Taylor Heineke finds Diami Brown for 22 yards right in between the linebackers and Darnay Holmes there. And this is like one reason why the Giants defense seems to be breaking down is that area of the field by the numbers to the hash, just a big soft spot there between that curl defender, that middle hook defender and where the safety is specifically when they run this inverted cover two, that's just not working out for them whatsoever. Yeah, you nailed it, Nick. And specifically on this play, what stood out to me is just, you can't have it happen because the ball takes so long to get there. This is not a good throw by Heineke. I mean, this is a bad ball in my mind. It is not, doesn't have the necessary zip and velocity to get into that hole. And yet there's such a huge area for him to throw the ball into that it works. So just again, just too much space, too much soft stuff. I didn't think it was all bad on this drive. I thought Carter made another great play on the first down. After like, like you said, in the first down of that series, they specifically pitched to run at O'Shane's side. I think teams will continue to run at O'Shane Zimenez when he's in the game. He's a liability for the Giants so far in his career in the run game. Came in pretty unexperienced in that regard. Coming from Old Dominion, hasn't improved too much in that area. But great play by Carter and and uh, Big Cat Leonard Williams on that next first down after they completed the first one uh, to kind of uh, you know they tried to run a little tight end around on Carter's side. And I thought he does a good job there with, with Leonard Williams to make sure nothing happens there. I talked about it on the next, but there's so much misdirection and motion in the offense. I mean, there was a tight spot. <laughs> there was a, the next play was a, a big misdirection play. It was another bad throw by Heineke. I thought, but again, right into the soft spot of that defense, easy conversion for McLaurin. A lot of those easy conversions on that first drive that stood out to me. What else kind of stood out to you from this first drive? But these little nifty routes in that pre-snap motion, man. I mean, they bring, they have a like a loose bunch, I guess you could say, with with Logan Thomas off the line of scrimmage, Adam Humphreys on the line of scrimmage, and then Deami Brown off the line of scrimmage, stacked behind Adam Humphreys, and they bring him in front of the quarterback on a motion to expand the linebackers, and the Giants actually end up blitzing Reggie Ragland here, and then dropping Aziz Ojolari into coverage. But Terry McLaurin just runs a quick little button hook, gets around. Aziz Ojolari and then presents his hands and catches the football there and just little plays like this. And then the Giants took a little bit to rally the tackle here, which kind of pisses me off a little bit. 
But those quick little plays, those quick little hitters, a lot of them are set up, Dan, by this pre-snap motion to occupy the attention of the Giants defenders. And this is something that they did all game. These little, little things that we kind of hope that Jason Garrett adopts a little bit more of. They really helped this Washington team get this victory. Yeah, you're right about that. Couple other things I thought about this drive, Nick. I want to get your take on one thing. The first one is pretty self-explanatory. The third and shirt, the third and short, I should say. Awesome play by Dexter Lawrence here to blow up any potential lane for Antonio Gibson. They give him the first anyway. I thought he was short, but you know, next time that'll be a stop. It's about a half yard or longer. But then the back-to-back first down plays right after that. Bradbury just way off in coverage. Gives up the pig chunk gain to McLaurin, then gives up the touchdown right away to McLaurin. Seems like he's so off in coverage. What do you make of this? What do you think was the schematic idea behind this from Graham, like playing Bradbury so far off? And do you think that Washington just kind of Scott Turner and and Heineke just kind of figured out like this was a good way to attack in this spot? Well, I feel like a lot of defenses, when they're in the red zone sometimes and they're not running those obvious man coverage, they'll play a little bit off because it allows them to kind of click and close and drive down on on those slants and those in-breaking routes. But looking at the leverage here, it just seems like the Giants were a little bit too far off. I understand a little bit of cushion because, you know, you're like, hey, you're inviting, hey, we're going to force you into a field goal. We're going to bend. We're not going to break kind of defense. But the Giants were just too far off. And on that touchdown that James Bradbury ends up surrendering on this drive, it just seemed like Terry McLaurin cut at the perfect time to where he put his foot in the ground while James Bradbury was still kind of backpedaling. Like James Bradbury's feet are not set in the ground. Like one foot is like up in the air and he's backpedaling and he kind of has to reset that outside foot into the ground to position himself to drive off of that foot to get into position to make a play on the football or make a play on Terry McLaurin. So that was just excellent, an excellent route by McLaurin and excellent timing as well by McLaurin. But there was another play and I think it's on this drive too, Dan where Cam Sims was running wide open down the field. Did you see this? I'm not 100% sure of the uh, streaking down the field. And the Giants, they're playing – like they don't have any safeties and they end up bringing only four and they drop everybody to like the sticks essentially with one safety back, but he's so far back. And I don't really love this whole – playing safeties like 30 yards off the line of scrimmage, which is also like something that Greg Williams was famous for doing with Jabril Peppers when he was the defensive coordinator of the Browns. I'm not a huge fan of that. I get like you you keep everything in front of you and doing that and eliminate like the vertical pass, but I feel like you're just allowing so many short and underneath throws because you're playing with 10 defenders essentially in that part of the field. So I don't love it. And on that specific play that I'm talking about, Cam Sims runs past the linebacker and this would have been an easy touchdown if Taylor Heineke noticed it, but he didn't. And he just checked it down to Antonio Gibson. The Giants ended up rallying for the tackle there. But I I mean, I, I don't love the fact that that you had a player wide open. If Heineke was able to see it, then it would have been a huge play for them. Yep. You're damn right about that, Nick. Anyway, this one results in a touchdown. Now we're at the point here, post-touchdown here. Not a 7-7 game. Giants, real bad drive here. This one was a tough one on offense. Three and out, punt. Ball back to the Red uh, Washington football team. Again, 7-7. Two of the first three drives, the Giants' defense looked great. Again, taking all the blame this week. Meanwhile, they forced three and out in two of the first three drives. What do they do again on this third drive? It's another three and out by the Giants. It was actually a four and out due to a penalty, but another four and out by the Giants defense here. And one thing that stood out to me on this drive, I mean, a few things stood out to me. One thing was great individual effort by Austin Johnson on the screen. We'll get to Johnson later because I haven't been a huge fan of what I've seen here, but um, just great stuff. And then really just excellent job by the Giants to get off the field. I mean, this was kind of easy. They were 
really far behind the sticks after that penalty on first down on the screen pass, but good rallying to the ball and good job to get off the field here. Adoree Jackson, that one play on the on the seven route to the sideline. I really love it. So he's to the boundary and he's lined up in a press alignment on, on a receiver. I think it's Diami Brown or it could be Terry McLaurin. I'm not hundred percent certain, but it's just a simple like smash concept essentially with an under and then over the top is going to be the seven route. So Adoree jams the, the receiver and then, you know, shuffles him under makes an under call and the, or the defender who's on Logan Thomas, who's running the seven route comes off. Logan Thomas takes the undercall. And then Adoree Jackson snaps his eyes to Taylor Heineke and sinks into his coverage to just mitigate the space or limit the space, I should say, of Logan Thomas and then kind of gets to the catch point and knocks the ball away. But the ball was kind of a little bit overthrown. But that's still a very good play and recognition and ability to diagnose what's going on by Adoree Jackson there. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, now let's get to what was in a lot of ways a turning point in the game. It's the last possession that Washington has before the half. Effectively the last possession for any team. They're backed up all the way at their own 16. Only three or only four minutes left. A little over 401, I believe it was, left in this game at this point. Or no, sorry, 409 is left in this game at this point. And the Giants allow what they did last week, Nick. A touchdown drive just before they have back-breaking seven points. Just a back-breaking seven points here. I want to talk about what happened that led to this. Why did they give this up? I also thought there was a play that I just looked at in my notes that might have kind of led to, I want to get your thoughts on this, might have led to the low snap count and the drop off from like 95% to whatever it was for Xavier McKinney in this game. After the, So there's the first play of this drive where it's like that seam shot to Thomas, takes forever to get there. Again, at this point, Heineke just does not look good throwing the football, in my opinion. He has some good throws later, but... Not great. But then there's that first down play where McKinney does a great job diagnosing the screen, but he has to finish the tackle there. And him not finishing that tackle made a big difference in this drive, in my opinion. Do you think that could have been part of the reason why he played fewer snaps? Because he kind of made that big mental error. I don't call it a mental error, but whatever you want to call it, missing that tackle. Absolutely. That could easily be it. Because you have to make that tackle. He's in pursuit there. The other two defenders who are there are just basically occupying space to be blocked by the two stalk blocking Washington football team players. It's McKinney's job to make this tackle and he gets to the hip, but kudos to Adam Humphrey for lowering that inside shoulder and powering through a weak tackle attempt. That could easily be the reason. And usually you don't see players uh, get benched, I guess you could say for one missed tackle, but that was a bad missed tackle and it ended up getting the Washington football team a first down there. So that could be the reason that's his assignment there. And he, and he blew it. No doubt about it. I don't have too much else to say about this dinky, dunky touchdown drive that lasted four minutes. I mean, again, it's just like soft coverage, Bradbury soft on McLaurin. Nothing really interesting, just very similar to what we saw against Denver last week, where it's just a ton of quick game. Like people blame the Giants for not getting pressure. Well, where's the pass rush? Where can tell someone tell me watching the film of this drive before the half or the touchdown drive by the Broncos in week one before the half and tell me what they could have done from a pressure standpoint. I don't see it. So next thing I want to talk about, but before we get to that, I want to see if you have anything in between that you want to talk about, Nick. A lot of it was just dinking and dunking like you were saying. But uh, I mean, they they were running the ball here. I mean, it was wasn't necessarily a, a full-on two-minute drill. Like They weren't scared to run the football to keep the Giants honest. And then we saw how they scored the touchdown. Credit to Taylor Heineke to, to kind of check out of a pass play because I think it was originally a pass play and get an easy walk-in touchdown where there was literally nobody to that side for J.D. McKissick. I mean, everybody was to 
the Logan Thomas side, the strength side, the close side of the formation. And the only player who was to the left side of the offense was Aziz Ojolari. So it's just a... Not not great there. Not great, Bob. I mean, yeah, what the hell happened there? That's a free touchdown. It's as free as a touchdown gets at the NFL level, and I'm just still scratching my head. Watching that one was tough. Yeah, I think they were really, really focused on on the pass, obviously, and it seemed like they might have been bringing pressure from that opposite side, but Logan Ryan is in the area, and Logan Ryan seems to be waiting to to execute some sort of banjo coverage on Terry McLaurin and Adam Humphreys. Or I don't even think that's Adam Humphreys. I think that's uh, the rookie that they got out of BYU, I think it is. And then they have Cam Sims in the game as well, which also screams that this could be a possible run play. But Terry McLaurin being there, I mean, he, he ran the fake little uh, Seattle Seahawks type screen as well. Logan Ryan jumped it as well. It would have been a great type of interception, but – Obviously, you're going to check to the run in that situation when the Giants present that front. And the fact that they didn't adjust at all is just a, not a great look. I get that you have other priorities on your mind. You're looking for the pass. But you have one down lineman in the game, and that's Dexter Lawrence. And then you have Lorenzo Carter, Zizo Jolari, Blake Martinez, and a bunch of defensive backs on the two-and-a-half-yard line. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just hard to make any sense of that. Anyway, Washington takes the 14-10 lead. Giants come out in the second half of the field goal drives now, Washington up one. And again, this defense, which is much maligned, comes out with another three and out. It's a three and out. Now, one thing that stood out to me on this series, Nick, Austin Johnson, man, he's just losing a lot of these one-on-one pass rush reps. And it makes me wonder when I watch a game like this, the second down play is what really stood out to me. He's just not getting any separation from his from his interior. And again, I, I know Washington has more strength on the interior of their offensive line, but something tells me, man, from watching all that film we watched, hours of it, of B.J. Hill over the last three years, hours of it, I mean, 2018, 2019, 2020 film, and what he's done already with the Bengals, he's probably making a bigger impact right now, a more positive impact than Price is at this point, because Price was awful. I guess at this point, now that Gates is hurt, you could argue that price is more important. I guess. I don't know. Maybe Matt Skur is better. I mean, there wasn't much good to take away from what price put out there. And yet Hill is making plays and Hill, I think, could help the Giants in a lot of ways win some of these pass downs by just getting these one on one pass rush moves to put pressure on the quarterback. Really stood out to me on that second down play again. The Giants forced a three and out. Everything was fine. But just I don't know, man, this is the game that really I'm starting to think like. Trader Dave, this dude, it just comes out here and makes all these freaking panic moves. He drafts Sam Beal in the third round of the supplemental draft. It's just like, I don't know. I never really, I was never fully on board with dumping Hill in a contract year. I just, I still felt like once you got rid of Tomlinson, you kind of needed Hill more. Is that not right? I think there's definitely, that's definitely valid, but I think it was a much more dire situation what was going on with the Giants offensive line than the Giants defensive line. I think BJ Hill is a better player than Austin Johnson. There's no doubt. I think Austin Johnson's solid, but he's not going to win one-on-one matchups against an all pro like Brendan Sheriff. We shouldn't probably expect him to win those. I think BJ Hill probably would have struggled as well, but BJ Hill has more juice. I think he's a much better pass rusher than Austin Johnson. Austin Johnson's a nice rotational defensive lineman. That's probably in a role that's a little bit too big for him right now. I think, especially if Danny Shelton can't can, can't develop or take his game to another level with the Giants. I like Austin Johnson. I thought he showed a lot of good plays against the run yeah. when the Giants faced Denver in week one, but I 
I'm not, he's not somebody I really want to rely on, especially against these kind of matchups, man. This is, this is one of the tougher matchups he's going to see until he, you know, goes down to Dallas and plays Zach Martin. Yeah, no doubt about it, but still three and out. So you can't complain too much about that series. Giants get the ball back touchdown. They're up 20 to 14. Finally, they take another lead in this game. Washington gets the ball back now down six, 20 to 14 has a nice little field goal series. I have a, cu- a couple ways I want to go over here. So the first one I want to go over is it feels like a lot these first two weeks. The Giants are kind of just like unsettled before the snap at the second level. Like the first play where Washington runs that sweep, it just feels like neither linebacker is really in their stance. Before. I'm not sure it matters, but really in their stance. That's just a shotgun off tackle run right there into a light box. This is a second and two situation. And this is one of the plays where Danny Shelton, you wish he would be able to occupy Brennan Sheriff here, but this is again, Brennan Sheriff. And he's also engaged with Chase Rouye. Blake Martinez tries to fill the hole, but he's picked up by that guard because this is just a horizontal stretch type of rushing play. And it's a really big hole and the blocking is really, really good by Washington. It's frustrating to see the box that light in a second and two type of situation. I mean, Washington comes out here and they are in 11 personnel. They have Logan Thomas split out. So they just have the five guys on the line of scrimmage, but this is an easy run to the boundary right here for Washington, an easy call. The blocking kind of displays how how easy it is. As long as Danny Shelton can't occupy Brennan Sheriff there to allow Blake Martinez to fill, I don't know what other giant was going to be able to make this play right. until Logan Ryan comes down to make the tackle. Right, and yeah, I'm re-watching it now. It's more on Shelton, just not being able to fill that role. I just think Crowder's completely taken out of the play. Before the snap, Crowder and Martinez are flipping sides. They just seem completely unsettled, and you know, Crowder gets taken out of the play. I, I don't know. I just, it just, this one stood out to me. A couple good plays though. I thought there was like, this was a big oh, yeah. turning point drive here, Nick. Cause I thought that there were some really good plays by the defense and just things that didn't go their way. The first was next play. The first down just textbook coverage by a Dory Jackson on this vertical route, carrying it up field from that press man alignment, nowhere to go with the football, just perfect tracking. Like I, I'm sure you will agree with that, but yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? No, no, that was great. I mean, he's up against Diami Brown. You expect him to win this type of matchup. Diami Brown releases to his outside. Jackson just gets to the near hip and easily gets his hand into the catch point. He doesn't get his head around, doesn't get flagged, nor should he have gotten flagged because the coverage was just blanket. It was really, really good by Adore Jackson. And I felt like Jackson did that a lot in this game, man. He had really, really good coverage, but we all remember the really, really bad play. And that's unfortunately how things go sometimes in this business. And we'll talk about that because I loved Adoree Jackson's tape in this game. And I specifically focused in on, it. we'll get to that because he's going to make one of our awards later and my award later. And as far as the bad play that happened, I don't personally put that on him at all. We'll get to why in a bit, but this was a big turning point in the game for me because then it's the second down and you get this really nice get off by Lorenzo Carter here. I felt like he was held and the refs missed this call. He obviously felt like he was held. He put his hand right up. It's hard to see from the all 22 either angle for sure. To me, it looks like a hold, but it's not called. Heineke does a little slide and he gets rid of the ball sliding his feet. And this is a huge conversion here. I think it was either the second or third down, but it's a really good get off. I thought Carter was held and just like this little thing makes such a big difference in the game. He, he was held. Like, there's no denying it. That that has to be flagged. And it was clear because Carter – and again, like, people are – I've seen people on Twitter take shots at Carter. I, I think Carter has really shown well. He hasn't gotten a sack yet. Me he too. hasn't put in 
extreme extreme pressure. But when you watch the tape, he there's juice there, there's explosiveness, and there's Ben there. It's like watching Carter from 2019 almost. It's almost like that. So I like him in any Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's he's a good run defender. And here, man, he gets into the chest of, I think this is Sam Cosme, and he uses that long arm. He bends through the contact, and then he wins the edge. He's starting a corner, but Cosme grabs basically the shoulder pads, like where the shoulder pad neck and the neck meet. He grabs right there, and you can see the jersey tug, and you can see all of Carter's momentum stop. And the two refs are right there. That has to be a call. That's an egregious yeah. missed call right there, not to sit here and harp on – refereeing and all that because calls they're missed every game for both sides but you have to in this situation make that call and then heineke just gets absolutely obliterated by blake martinez <laughs> on the play too this was a five-man pressure package that i i did end up liking because they aligned blake martinez over the top of logan uh logan thomas and then martinez just comes on the blitz jabril peppers who's aligned in the box he goes right off the ass of of Leonard Williams isolating himself against J.D. McKissick. So there's no one to pick up Blake Martinez on this play because Aziz Ojolari takes uh, 72 as well. But credit to Heineke. I hate saying it. It's like my third or fourth time saying it on this podcast, and credit to Heineke, a player who I felt like played well but still probably shouldn't have won this football game. I don't know if I'm a jaded Giants fan saying that, but, I mean, he got the ball off there. And I think a big reason why was probably because Lorenzo Carter got held, but he stood in the pocket and took a big shot, though, from Blake. Yeah, no, I don't think you're a jaded Giants fan. I think anyone who watched the film can see the Giants should be one and one right now. And coaching was a big reason in my mind that they weren't coaching in preparation, which is hard to, I don't know who I'm going to put that on fully on the coaches or, you know, some of the players, but part of the reason, but even so they still had a chance even after that non hold called. And this is such a huge drive because this is three points that they end up converting here. And here's the thing. In a game where the Washington football team wins by one point, these three points, if you force a punt instead, make all the difference. And they still have a chance here on that third down call where you get a nice pressure from Aziz. And then Leonard Williams, who, you know, that pressure from Aziz forces uh, Heineke off his spot. Leonard Williams just misses the sack. It comes within a hair of a sack here. That would have stopped them at the Giants' 43-44 range. That's out of field goal range. Like They're not trying a 61-yard field goal. Instead... Obviously, that doesn't happen, and they are able to get into a position where they can kick the field goal. Just a really unfortunate, you know, these are the small things. Like I was talking about before, last podcast. Like, these are the back-to-back little things that are just totally out of the Giants' control. They cannot control if the referee is going to call a holding flag on Carter. They cannot control if Williams comes within inches of getting a sack. What they can control, what they can control is being aggressive after the Bradbury interception and trying to to score seven with your focus on scoring seven instead of scoring three. That's the thing they can control. And that's why it frustrates me more than any of these little things everyone points to like, oh, well, if this and this happened, the Giants would have won. Well, yeah, but they can't control those things. And but so just just a little point I wanted to make from based off that play. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the things they can't control for the most part at, at key critical situations, they didn't do the best of job of controlling them, i.e. Leonard or Dexter Lawrence jumping off sides, little things like that. That's not one player, you know? But at the same time, when that happens several different in several different instances, it, it gets maddening and, and frustrating for fans to watch. And rightfully so, especially when your head coach, who I'm a, who I'm a fan of, I really like Joe Judge, but when your head coach preaches about the fundamentals and discipline and all those things, and that's what ends up beating you in a division game on the road, that, that, that can really make you want to tear your hair out. I like the idea of Joe Judge, Nick. I really do. 
But I, I'm not at the point yet until he starts winning football games that I can say I like Joe Judge. I like the idea of Judge. I like having a head coach who doesn't coordinate either side of the ball. I like everything he said he's going to be about to the media. I like everything he said you know, the team is going to be about. Aggressiveness, not making stupid mental errors. But you know, at this point, it doesn't seem to be bearing itself out yet. There's still plenty of time. But as far as me just coining yeah, yeah. him like most of Giants fans have – I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to make that mistake here. And I'm not saying you're doing that by any means, but I'm just saying in general, there's been a lot of victory laps on the Giants for getting Joe Judge. When meanwhile, you now have two coaching staffs hired in the same year that quite frankly have a lot more to go on as far as who did a better job. Like this Matt Rule, Phil Snow, uh, Joe Brady combination is is actually has proof right now. Like, yeah, the Panthers didn't win many games last year with a really bad roster that hasn't used much cap space. But this year, they haven't used nearly as much cap space as the Giants. They haven't had nearly as much draft capital over the last few years. And they look awesome right now. They're the only team in the NFL that hasn't trailed at any point so far through two games. That's a f- true fact. Carolina Panthers are the only team. They're number one in defensive DVOA there. And then you look at Cleveland, another coaching staff that was hired that same offseason. Kevin Stefanski. He's doing an awesome job. He runs an incredible offense. It's a good system with good play calling that fixed a lot of what was bad about Baker, even just down to the core of Baker, like all of his footwork issues and all of his, you know, just the quarterback coaching that came from that, which they would have had if Stefanski was here. So just like we can't victory lap judge when there's two coaching staffs hired in the same offseason actually have proof right now. And Caroline is more of a stretch because that's still too early. but. I agree with you. In the Carolina thing, I think there could be detractors, which I feel like they have a lot of merit just because they face Zach Wilson and the Jets at home week one. And last week, they had another home game, and it was against a team that half their offensive coaching staff wasn't there. But at the end of the day, I, I mean, they're going to probably just absolutely annihilate uh, the Texans on, on Thursday night football as well. So they're going to be 3-0 and soon, and that's a great start to a season. You might have had an easier schedule than, than a lot of other teams, but at the end of the day, you're 3-0. and So that's uh, definitely a tip of the cap to Matt Rule and that coaching staff. Yeah, and coaching staff are not. I mean, offensive coaching assistants are not. The Saints obliterated the Packers in week one, so it's not like they're – and they're a good football team, and they're not going to all of a sudden bottom out at 4-12 and 12 or you know 4-13 and 13 or anything of that nature. So we'll, we'll see what happens there, but just no victory laps for me until I see proof of it. I'm just not – he talks a great game right now, Judge, but it just hasn't borne itself out yet. And let's, let's face the facts, Nick. If the Giants are 0-2 right now, again, for somehow – this is insane to think about, but I think this is like, I think I saw a tweet today. This might be like the sixth season in a row they're 0-2 to start a season. Do you know how painful that is? Just, just pain. It it's pain. But if the Giants somehow have a really bad year and win six games or fewer, I got to be honest with you. I don't think Joe Judge is going to make it through this. With a new GM coming in, obviously, that one goes without saying. <laughs> There's just no way they could be. They, that that's not happening. I won't even bring myself to believing that has any chance of happening for my own mental health, Nick. But... I don't think Joe Judge is going to make it through if they're really bad this year. So I hope the Giants can turn it around because, like you said, I like Judge. I believe in the idea of Judge, and I think he can do better. (laughs) I hope he can do better with his aggressiveness in-game. I really do. There hasn't been any proof yet that he can, but I hope he can turn that around because I just don't believe long-term in coaching not to lose. I'll never believe in it. I'll never stand by it. And, you know, so far through his tenure, I've seen a lot of that. But let's move on here. They get the field goal again. Game of inches. That sack that just missed sack by Leonard. The holding call on Lorenzo that wasn't called. It's all right. Now we get back into the eighth series of this game for the Giants defense. We're looking at 23-17 game. Giants get a field goal. 
This, the, the football team goes 11 plays, 56 yards, tacks on a field goal of their own after the Giants make a nice third and 10 stop, get them into third and 10 with a couple good uh, forced incompletions, one with a Dory Jackson on Diami Brown. Anything that stands out to you on this drive? You got to love the uh, RPO on the first play of the drive because Giants were running it with a lot of success. And then Taylor Heineke does a good job reading Blake Martinez. He's the read defender on this play. You can see the lineman kick, the double pullers kick, the center and the backside guard. Heineke goes in the mesh point. Blake Martinez plays it very aggressively. So Heineke just sticks his back foot in the ground and fires a strike to Terry McLaurin, who beats Jabril Peppers off the line of scrimmage. That's I'm telling you, man, when you can utilize the RPO in this manner, you can really put defenses into a spot where they have to curtail their defense to stop just that RPO. And then right. you can open up the rest of your playbook to do so many different things. And that's why you and I have been talking about Jason Garrett doing that. And he did it in this game, but doing that more extensively because he has Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones as a different element to the entire equation because he can run you can run off of that and he is incredibly fast he's faster than defensive backs you know so I hope to see more of that from Jason Garrett we saw it in this game but this RPO call from Scott Turner was was really really good because you can see the entire Giants defense flow into the direction of the run and it just opens up that easy slant Blake Martinez reads it a bit late but he does read it so credit to him I guess on that but it's just too little, too late. It's a very tough spot for a linebacker right there because what do you do? Do you play the run? Do you right. execute your run fits? Or do you vacate the zone to allow the slant to come underneath? It's a it's a very, very tough spot. Such a great design by Scott Turner. thought a couple plays stood out to me from the Giants defense, though. This was another big series, I think, for the Giants defense here to hold them to three. They could have lost this game even before the you know, the bad stuff at the end if they had given up a touchdown. Great plan first and 10 by Darnay Holmes. Physical tackle by Holmes to fight through the blocker and stop a screen. I thought that was excellent by Darnay Holmes. Then I also thought to close out this drive, Adoree Jackson took over, man. He had that first play where he's just blanket coverage. And then again, once again, he's in phase back-to-back targets against Dory Jackson. And both times he stopped it and really shut down the drive. So I thought that both the defensive backs really had a great drive here for the Giants. Darnay Holmes' play was awesome, dude. Because Darnay Holmes, he's small, yeah. man. He has short arms. He has like 29-inch arms, which is ridiculously short. That's like only a little bit shorter than or longer than Danny Woodhead's arms. Like, But he's able to basically press that wide receiver off of him, come off the block, the stalk block, and then get a hold of the receiver to to make that tackle. Like That was an excellent play by Darnay Holmes there. And then uh, for the rest of the drive, I mean, Taylor Heineke fell on his face, getting rushed out of the pocket there. The Giants actually had pretty good coverage. But it was a pretty solid release and just like scheme from that tight stack to the field side because Darnay Holmes is in man coverage as is one of the defensive backs. I don't remember who, but Logan Thomas, similar to what Kyle Rudolph did, releases towards Darnay Holmes and forces Holmes over the top of this. This is a rub and a pick route, which allows Adam Humphreys to just come wide open on a drag. Luckily, the Giants anticipated some sort of in-breaking route and dropped Logan Ryan down from his safety spot to kind of take any kind of crosser. And he ends up taking Adam Humphreys there and Taylor Heineke doesn't end up throwing the football. He ends up falling and then like dropping the ball on the ground. And James Bradbury takes a penalty, which is unfortunate. It it did look like a penalty though to me. For sure. All right, let's move on to this next drive. 26-20 at this point. Giants have a six-point lead. And this is the two-play 75-yard drive. We went over the first play. I want to go over the second play because this is where Dory Jackson gets knocked. But <laughs> I watched this play a few times, Nick. Man, man, oh, man. We talk about the Darius Slayton ball, probably the best ball by any quarterback in this game from just a pure ball, you know, pure throw standpoint. 
But this is if if it's not the best, this is the second best throw of the game here. This Taylor Heineke um 19 yard touchdown pass to Ricky Seals Jones. Heineke has to re change his launch point within the pocket based on the pressure and then just rips a ball out into what I call a no window throw. I mean, there's no window here. Jackson is right there in coverage. But if this ball is ripped with that amount of velocity, and this is the most velocity I thought I saw him put on any ball this entire game. But if the ball's ripped out there with that amount of velocity right into that spot, I mean, to the outstretched arms of Ricky Seals Jones, whose feet are just like toe tapping within the end zone in the sideline. This is just such a low percentage idea for Heineke but I mean he rips it in there and I mean they would have forced a second and 10 there in the red zone I feel like the Giants could have maybe bogged this one down this was a tough one for the Giants yeah and the scheme is really really good the Giants come out it looks like a cover two defense too high and the cornerbacks are sinking to to take the the outside portion away so they're not just staying in the flats or anything like that because typically zone defense ends up turning into man defense as the play materializes but when you watch the route concepts what you get is two tight stacks uh, tight to the line of scrimmage and you get both of those inside players running out seams so they basically bend towards the outside their, their initial stem is towards the outside towards the numbers and then they just bend inside tightly and what that does is that focuses both of the two high safeties on both of those players both of those number two wide receivers who are running those benders and on the outside from both those outside receivers you have out and up so they both dart to the flat and then they go up the field and this is going to isolate one-on-one matchups between the cornerbacks because both those safeties are occupied with those two seam benders because their initial outward stem drew their attention and then as they went inside they ended up following that and that's how Ricky Seals Jones gets matched up against Adoree Jackson here Adoree Jackson realizes he's in one-on-one coverage he tries and attempts to squeeze Ricky Seals-Jones close to that sideline, but then he has to flip his hips totally. He gets his eyes on the football, and Ricky Seals-Jones, I mean, the dude's like six foot five, man, and he outweighs Adoree Jackson by like 30, 35 pounds. So he just kind of boxes Adoree Jackson out, and the throw is just way too good for Adoree Jackson to even attempt to get his hand on the football, and that's what ends up happening. But that route concept was really really good against this Giants coverage as well. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, let's break down that final drive from the Reds from the Washington football team. Sorry, <laughs> still happens sometimes. The interception from Bradbury. You want to break that play down? I know we kind of touched on it before, but anything you want to touch on more specifically? No, not necessarily about the, the that that drive right there. I mean, just great play by James Bradbury to recognize what Washington was attempting to do because what they were doing is they were – they brought the the running back into the flat. They're to the boundary, okay? So the field is a little bit less. So they bring the running back to the flat, and that expands the linebacker basically towards Terry McLaurin, where Terry McLaurin has to work either over the top or underneath said linebacker because the linebacker is executing his man coverage technique on the running back. So he ends up going over the top of Terry McLaurin. He crossed the face, and then Taylor Heineke is going to throw with anticipation, knowing that McLaurin's going to be there. But James Bradbury reads that so well, he jumps the route. And as McLaurin's trying to recollect himself from getting around Tay Crowder, Bradbury is right there to intercept the pass. That was excellent keen diagnosability from Bradbury. Yep, and I didn't mean to say the final drive, because we obviously got to touch on that final, final drive. The disaster with the Giants, you know, come off that 16-second four-play field goal drive. Uh, Jesus. Give themselves a two-point lead. And then it just felt like, man, like every Giants fan in the world knew that if they gave the, the Washington football team the ball back with two minutes left to play, all they need is a field goal. Not a touchdown, just a field goal. As I'm trying to channel my inner Allen Iverson here. Not a touchdown. Not a touchdown. We're not talking a touchdown. We're talking a field goal here. Not that hard. 
these days for NFL kickers. <laughs> Seemingly not that hard. I mean, this guy ends up blasting what? A 43 yard. It ended up being a 43 after the penalty. A 48 yarder he sets up for the first time. I mean, not a not a touchdown, just a field goal. Anything specific in this drive to me is just another dinky dunky drive where it just like in my notes, I'm trying to look at them right now to just go over this drives. And it just like just seems like it's just a lot of off. It's a lot of what we saw throughout the game. A lot of quick game stuff that's on time, and the Giants not really doing too much to keep them off time. Off schedule. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, off schedule. Yeah, it was a lot of space, and I felt like the Washington football team cleared out well for the running backs and Adam Humphreys to kind of leak out into the flat or just middle hook underneath part of the middle hook zone to catch like five yard passes to try and make players miss. And they did a solid job doing that, but they just nickel and dimed this giants defense all the way down the field to the point where the giants defense surrendered this field goal opportunity, man. It it was frustrating. They even ran the football a couple of times here to kind of keep the giants honest as well. So the unfortunate thing too, Dan is you had the one Adam Humphreys drop where two Giants defenders converged on him, and that was a play that made me while I was watching it like, yeah, let's go, here we are. And you also had the Jabril Peppers play on on JD McKissick. He forces that incompletion near the sidelines, and you know you're kind of thinking, all right, you know, good good defense there. But then the next play, Diami Brown catches a little in route against. Adoree Jackson, and it just continues to move the chains. And and the next thing you know, they're lining up for a 47-yard field goal attempt that it misses. And then you see the laundry on the field, and you're like, this can only happen to the New York Giants. <laughs> exactly. Somehow, some way, and that's that's the end of it. I mean, that's how it ends up. It's just a game they should have never lost in my mind. Let's give out some awards to close this bad boy out, though. Let's start here. Where do you want to start here? Let's give the first award out to unheralded player of the week on the all 22. I think I'm going to let you talk about it, Dory. I want to bring up another one that I feel like no one's talking about. He's actually taking some heat and that is somebody we brought up several times in the podcast. That's Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo Carter. I felt like, yeah, I feel like he's gaining the edge. I feel like he could have had a game changing sack if it wasn't for that hold that wasn't called. And I see some juice. I see some bend. I don't think he looks slow. He's, he looks gigantic out there still, you know, and he's taking on polars very well. And he's one of the edge players that I'm confident in every time a Washington wants to run the football right. at his direction, because I don't like seeing O'Shane Zimenez out there. Aziz Ojolari, I'm, I'm okay with, but whenever I see Lorenzo Carter out on the edge, I'm like, okay, this is probably going to get bottled up a little bit. So I'm going to go with Carter. Completely agree with you on that. Out of all the edges the Giants have right now, easily the one I'm most comfortable with when they run it at the edge at him. I mean, he had a blow-up play on that second and five that saved one drive from potentially going somewhere. Should have had another game, uh, you know, drive-killing play with that sack, that hold that wasn't called. I'm going with Dory Jackson, though, because he's the one I focused in the most on because I was so impressed with right away. Just playing a ton of press man up and just staying in phase consistently, taking away vert routes consistently, step for step for step. Yeah, he gives up the touchdown, quote-unquote, at the end, but that's just such a good ball by Heineke in my mind. I'm not blaming him for that. I love what Jackson showed. I really am happy to see this because they invested a lot of money in this player based on a win. Almost not a win, but I mean on a, you know, a smaller sample size with a lot of injuries in his profile. And they, based on the money they invested and how much guaranteed money is still left to be paid out, they need him to be a great player on this defense. And I think he's trending in that direction. Let's go over some players who struggled on the All-22 after watching the film. There's obviously more players here who struggled than the unheralded players because it was a 
bad game from the defense. So start with who you want to talk about first. I've already brought it up, and that's Danny Shelton. I'll, I'll bring up two, and then you bring up two. How about that, sure. Dan? I'm going to go over Danny Shelton first because you need Danny Shelton to eat up blocks, eat up space, and allow these linebackers to maneuver to a position to where they can execute their run fits. And I felt like there were a couple plays where Danny Shelton did not allow Blake Martinez to put himself in that position. He didn't see that a lot last year with Dalvin Tomlinson. So I'm going to bring up Shelton, and I'm also going to bring up O'Shane Zimenez because I feel like every time he's out there, the offensive coordinator says, yeah, let's run at 53. We're going to run at 5-3. And there was actually a play in this game where I felt like he did a pretty solid job closing the gap where where he was occupying. So I don't believe it was a power gap play. I think it was just an inside zone play, but he's able to get towards the inside shoulder and just kind of squeeze that that uh, B gap down against the tackle. He gets pushed back a little bit, but I felt like that was a solid rep. But other than that, I just kind of, I don't see it from him. He's not getting a lot of separation as a pass rusher, putting himself into a, a position to, to win one-on-one matchups in that manner either. And as a run defender, he's just a liability. So uh, I, I, I want to see a little bit more from 53. Yeah, I think that's fair. They're running at him. My guys are Austin Johnson, who I talked about before. Just think they're losing a little bit in the pass rush with him. And Tay Crowder, I mean, talk about one of the most overhyped Giants players in my mind in the last couple of years, Tay Crowder. I mean, t- totally destroyed, fooled on that play by McKissick. See him out of place a lot in the run game. Don't think he offers much there. Don't think, like you even said ba- later, he's a slight upgrade over Raglan in the past game. That should be way more. He should be way more than a slight upgrade. Not adding much as a blitzer this year. Had some plays last year in that regard. Not much yet. Obviously, it's early. Didn't really see much, though, anyway, besides being in the right spot at the right time. He was a right spot at the right time player last year. And I think the Giants really need to upgrade that inside linebacker unit. And I'd honestly like to see Carter Coughlin start to get more snaps over someone like Carter. Uh, I'm sorry, Tate Crowder. Just just not a fan of what I've seen. Think he was very overhyped by just being in the right spot at the right time last season. All right, let's go over your favorite individual defensive play on uh, on the film. It's an easy one, and that's just the James Bradbury interception. We went over it several times, so there's no need to rehash it, but that is a difficult play for a cornerback to make, and he anticipated and reacted very well to what he saw. Yeah, I can't pick another play that's better. That's clearly the best play. All right, let's rate the pass rush 1 to 10 scale. So I'm going to go with a 3.8, and it depends on how you look at this because – the Giants didn't bring a lot of pressure and a lot of five-man pressure packages in this game. It was a lot of four-man. And I felt like Washington's offensive line did a much better job winning in those one-on-one matchups. And you didn't get a lot of pressure. I mean, the Aziz Ojolari sack, that was that was more of a coverage sack, I would say. He ends up getting to the edge. But in, in most situations, the quarterback's probably not going to hold on to the football that long. Kudos to the Giants' coverage for holding up. And credit to Zizo Jolari as well, but it still wasn't a, a quick type of sack. So I'm going to go with a 3.8. I'll go 4.5 just because it's hard to put it too much lower. There, I, I, I bounce back and forth on this, but it's hard to put it too much lower than 5 for me just because I'm just not so sure how much of this was the fault of just the game planning here. I mean, there's just so much quick game from Washington. There's so few opportunities, it felt like. Even that one that should have been called a hold. On Renzo Carter, I mean, there was a few pressures early too to mix in. I don't hate it as much. How about the pass coverage? What grade are you giving them on the pass in the pass coverage? 
I think a 5.4. I think through, there were some plays. Like Terry McLaurin got the best of James Bradbury. There's no doubt about it. But there were reps where James Bradbury just put the clamps on Terry McLaurin that you see. And you can see Heineke kind of go to his first read, realize it's not there, quickly come off it and try to find somebody else. So I think a 5.4 is uh, – I'm not sure if it's a little bit generous because you think about what ended up happening – those two plays, man, that two-play drive, it was it was horrendous. You think about the nickel and diming, that's not all that great. So I might even be a little bit high, but uh, I'm going to settle out of 5.4. I think that's fair. I'm going 5-3 here. Again, great coverage all game, I thought, from Adoree Jackson. Big-time play here from uh, James Bradbury. Overall, though, it just seemed like the coverage wasn't tight. Again, I don't know how much of this is scheme-based and how much of this is just kind of what Graham did. So I'm not going to rate it too low. How about the run defense, 1 to 10? I'm going to go with the 7.9 here. Not quite an 8 because there were a couple off-tackle runs where the Giants couldn't contain and couldn't fill and the linebackers got picked up because the defensive linemen didn't assist them. Some of the fronts were really advantageous for Washington to run into as well, which definitely played into it. But uh, 7.9, I feel like it's fair. It's my exact grade, 7.9. We definitely don't go over this beforehand. But yeah, I really like the run defense, specifically on the interior. They gave them stuff the outside. It's fine, especially when you consider that they're basically selling out to stop the pass on every snap of the way this defense is schemed, which, by the way, again, huge fan of that in general. Great stuff. So I'm never going to be against that. But yeah, I thought they did a good job on the interior. They really stopped the run in a lot of spots that they shouldn't have. Um, it's good run defense there. They've built a nice run core. All right, Nick, that's all we have. That's all I have for today. Anything else you want to add before we sign off? Just go check out our YouTube page, everybody. Uh, we're, we're doing some work over there. Need to try to build that up a little bit. Dan's probably going to promote it here in a second. But as for the game, Dan, not, not necessarily. Let's just hope there's greener pastures against Atlanta. I mean, the fact that they, I think they've given up the second most points in the NFL through two games is bodes well for the offense. Let's hope this defense finds a groove against Matt Ryan, who I think played admirably against the Buccaneers, despite the fact that he threw two pick sixes, according to people who really dove into the film of that game. The Giants should win that football game, so let's hope they uh, pull it off. Yeah, I was reading Ledyard today. John Ledyard, guest of the show we've had on multiple times. Great film guy, covers the box. Basically said Matt Ryan played a lot better than people realize in that game and almost willed a team that had absolutely nothing besides him, Ridley and Pitts, <laughs> to a win. So that team doesn't have much. This is a must-win game for the Giants. If the Giants lose this game, I can totally see the rails completely falling off. And if the Giants lose this game, I think Joe Judge will be on the hot seat. By the way, I'm going to put that out there right now. Giants start 0-3 with a devastating loss to a crap Falcons team that's most likely going to be picking in the top five. At home, on the day, they're the retiring Eli's number, right? This is the, this is the Eli retirement day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unacceptable, and it would be a disaster. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Must-win game. Get it done, Giants. You can find a way. The offense is finding its stroke. We hope that Graham can figure something out. But, I mean, teams have done a really good job finding a way to beat this Falcons offense and beat them because they have a bad offensive line right now. So, Graham, you should be able to figure this one out. Otherwise, guys, stay tuned. We might have some other content this week. We're not sure yet. Follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter. Go to the YouTube page. That's Big Blue Banter. Look for our logo. And then please, as always, if you haven't done it yet, head over to iTunes. Go to our page. Click rate. Click review. Leave us a five-star. Throw a question. There's a lot of questions coming in and some compliments. Sorry we didn't answer them. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. I promise we'll get them. Um, but a lot of shout outs there as well, which we'll get to as well. So we'll shout you out for shouting us out. Otherwise have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.